Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 217, Standing in the Remains of My Fallen Brethren. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 9 of Angel, Long Day's Journey, and season 4, episode 16 of Battlestar Galactica, Blood on the Scales. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Angel first this week with Long Day's Journey. Um, I know you have a couple production notes, at least. Um, Mm -hmm. Did we want to say anything about the title? I have to confess to not having read Long Day's Journey in tonight, ever. So other than it being just a kind of you know, little illusion that ties into the, the plot of, you know, the, the sun being blotted out. Um, like a little peek at where they're headed, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if there are any deeper sort of literary connections to be made that would have to be made by somebody else. Um, but I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Sure. Um, well... You haven't read it, um, so consider yourself lucky. Um, (laughs) I did read it. I want to say must have been either in high school or college. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, Read it on my own, not for a class or anything even. Um, But yeah, I I recall it being very boring um, Mm. and and tedious and and long, as Mm -hmm. the title promises. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean... No, obviously very well celebrated. I mean, it might be one of those where, like, if you see it enacted, it you're like, oh, okay, that's a lot better than reading it. Like, sure. there are just some plays that are like that. Um, yes. I don't remember it well enough, other than feeling like it was long and tedious. Um, I don't remember it well enough to know, though, like, thematically, if, um, you know, if it uh, did anything. Um, similar to what the angel episode or if if there were any like particular uh you know themes that that angel is drawing on here um so yeah all all of that to say is i have read it i don't remember it well and i don't know (laughs) um but yeah for other people to go write the uh analysis of all the uh, great connections between those things and it's possible someone has already. I I actually I probably should have looked that up. Um, I try to do a little bit of that, um, at least when there's like an obvious thing uh, mm-hmm. like this. But um, yeah, I mean the the idea that like I think this episode all like takes no. I guess it it takes longer than a day, right? Because we see it, we see Gwen like at night. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it's daytime again, and then, like, it's... Sure, sure. Um, whatever. I don't know if it's, like, a 24-hour period, but there's, like, overnight right. stuff and whatever. So it's not even, like, even that part of it. Because that, that's the long day's journey into night. Like, it it's, takes place in, like, one day, and mm-hmm. it's, like, about a particular group of characters or whatever. But mm-hmm. this doesn't even fit that um, quite. So I think it's just more, like there's maybe some title resonance of like 
you know, the night befalling, mm-hmm. the, the permanent night befalling Los Angeles and mm-hmm. eventually the world, I guess, um, is the fear. But Right. And um, that's the, the fact that the that's left out of the title is, I guess, the clue that that's where it's headed. Like the mystery of them trying to figure out what's the what does the beast want? is unfolding and it's in this episode that you find out like oh he's trying to you know darken the sun and plunge them into this this long night but the the title is like a clue of that like long right. day's journey into what into night like so if yeah. you if you know the reference you might pick up on that um yeah so yeah could just it's just at least on that level but, it's kind of playing with with that the, always the mystery like... of that to me, that always seems, like, kind of weird, especially when, like, nobody knew that that was the title of this episode when it aired. Like, because they don't put sure. the titles up. Yeah, right. Um, some shows do, but, like, this one, right. you know. Well, and like especially, them, like, in the day before you have, like, a DVR that's, like, telling you what it is that you recorded and the title of everything. Like, yeah, only if you, like, were visiting right. fan sites would you really... yeah. But, or, I mean, maybe, I don't even know. I, oh, gosh. I'm, it's been so long since I saw, like, a paper TV guide. But, like, possible that, like, that might have listed the episode title name. Sure. But I don't even know if that did. Like, yeah. from what I remember, it was more just, like, it just showed what shows were at what time. Right, right. Um, but it might yeah. it might have. I don't, I don't remember. But, like, again, like, I don't imagine many, like, people watching – Yes. The CW. Knew the title, and, yeah. You know, yeah. or the yeah. WB this was. But anyway. Um, all of that to say. Uh, so actually, and I can't, so I got to, you know, you mentioned Eugene O'Neill. Of course, I got to re- mention that he was at one time very good friends with uh, my boy, Benjamin DeCassers. Of course he was. Um, and uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> They their fall. I say at one time because they had a rather uh, big falling out mm-hmm. um, over not this uh, play, but a play that Eugene O'Neill had written prior to this called Days Without End, mm-hmm. um, and DeCassers wrote a parody of it called Denial Without End mm-hmm. because the play was so bad. It's like universally condemned as like Eugene O'Neill's worst play, mm-hmm. and started like his twelve year what they call his silent period where he didn't write anything mm-hmm. um, with long day's journey into night, then being his coming out of that. He actually wrote one play like in between that, but mm-hmm. the play wasn't performed until after long day's journey. So, uh, or no, I, I could be wrong about, it. I don't, I don't, I may be getting the timeline exactly mixed up, but anyway, so this days without end, like ben, it bombs Benjamin DeCasters writes this like parody lambasting it and they like have this huge falling out Mm -hmm. and he like he's silent for like the next 12 years (laughs) um doesn't write anything so um so again i'm not sure on the exact timeline much like much like angel yeah brooding uh, brooding on the the unfairness he's he's being very broody like angel at the beginning of this episode which is a good way to to segue i guess (laughs) um but yeah uh so uh, a couple other notes real quick, written by Mayor Smith, who um, we've seen her work before. Um, she's, I think, has some really good episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what they were off the top of my head 
just now and I was trying to navigate to see. Um, but uh, yeah, um, you know, so she had uh, come into Angel. Um, so she wrote like one of the, the Pylean series, Over the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote Fredless. Um, she also wrote Ground State, which is the first one where we see Gwen. So this mm-hmm. is kind of another one where you have a writer bringing back a character that mm-hmm. she introduces um, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, uh, some good stuff from her. And then uh, just wanted to note the dedication at the end to Glenn Quinn, um, who is the actor who played Doyle. Um, right. And sadly, uh, Glenn, uh, I mean, one of the reasons, and I, I don't remember if we talked about this when uh, Doyle died on the show um, or how much we talked about it, but one of the reasons that he was forced to leave the show, uh, Angel, was due to problems with drugs, and uh, he ended up dying of a heroin overdose. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, very sadly, uh, passed away, I think, I think it was like a month and a half or so before this episode aired. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing in the episode itself particular to Glenn, or to uh, Doyle or anything, obviously. But uh, yeah. just uh, kind of a sad note there that someone yeah. from the show yeah. and a character that we liked kind of, uh, you know, real life struggles intruded on that and yeah. uh, affected how the show, you know, carried on. But yeah, we and we did talk about it, but it was so long ago that I almost had kind of forgotten that he didn't die until several years after he left the show. So definitely sure. a good kind of reminder that like this was the 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 time period in which that happened, and that they you know made sure to like you know yeah. remember him in the credits and everything. Sure, and it, it's hard to say what you know. I mean, maybe a chicken and egg kind of thing but um he like he really didn't do much after he left the show he did like one or two um minor he did like a tv movie and like a a film um in 2002 and then uh and then it would and it was in december 2003 that he died so Mm -hmm. um that's really it so you know hard to hard to say I mean, I you know, sounds like he probably continued struggling with that, but mm-hmm. um, that's just speculation on my part. I guess I shouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, I at least wanted to note the dedication there and, and mention that. Yeah. Um, yep, that's good. But yeah, so uh, we can move into the story, though. I know you uh, had some thoughts about where you wanted to begin. So Yeah, so I wanted to start with kind of the relationship stuff, um, which interacts with the plot and the mystery aspects but like um i feel like we can do them somewhat separately like there's some stuff we learn of new information that maybe we can come back to but like starting with where the characters are in their um all these all these fraught triangles going on um and then a couple you know you know, Gwen gets introduced to that and Lauren's hanging around or whatever. But basically it's like split into this Angel, Cordy, Connor nightmare. And then you've got uh, Fred and Wesley and Gunn going through their own, you know, issues 
over in the other corner. So, um, right. you know, kind of wanted to do that stuff up front. So yeah, Angel with the brooding, continuing with the brooding, like I mentioned, um, you know, evoking the, the, the playwright of the titles, you know, reference mm-hmm. there. Um, and Lorne kind of chastising him for that, you know, of, of your, you're a champion. You don't get personal days. Like this kind of mm-hmm. notion that things just stop when you're frustrated and upset and want to kind of take yourself and hide yourself away. That's not how it works in their world. And especially for Angel, his position in the world. Um, and I kind of almost want to jump ahead a little bit to to Cordy's uh, confrontation because <laughs> Lauren kind of in not quite as blunt terms as usual as Cordy, they kind of say the same thing, which is get over it. Yeah. Um, like this happened. Maybe it'll continue to be a relationship. Maybe it won't, but at, whatever happens in the future, you can't change the past. You can't change what you know or what you saw or what anybody did. And maybe you're entitled to have your own feelings about it, but get over it. Um, there's other fish in the sea, as Lauren says. And then, you know, as Cordy kind of says, like, there are more important things in the world. I mean, there's the fate of the world, but there's also more important relationships. Like, I think what she kind of is telling him is whatever her romantic relationship with either of them there's also Angel's paternal relationship to his son. Um, sure. Which is more important than who gets to be with Cordy in a way. Because if Cordy breaks up with everybody, Angel and Connor don't get that luxury. They're sort of connected. You, can't, you don't break up that relationship. You know, you might hate each other, you might refuse to talk to each other, but you're never not going to be father and son. Um, sure. And so just by virtue of, you know, uh, protecting Connor, wanting to do the best for him as a parent, you have to find a way to just put these personal feelings and grudges aside, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... I mean, that's true. Um, I think the other side of that coin is you have Connor still doing like the, oh, I didn't want to sleep in the bed if you weren't there stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, and there's almost a similar thing of Cordy, like, you need to get over that too with him. Yes. Maybe not quite as bluntly or whatever. I mean, she is kind of blunt with him, but like, not, she doesn't say that exactly, but like, is making it as clear as she can (laughs) that like it's that sort of thing isn't going to happen. Right. Like to the point where she's like sleeping on the floor instead of in the bed. And, um, yeah, he's kind of doing the like, Oh, aren't I fast and mysterious and, you know, yes. Helpful. And she's like, I'm leaving. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, Right. And I think that, right, maybe not in the same blunt language, but she does kind of communicate the same thing of, 
there are more important things like this vision I just had, which I'm going to go investigate or, you know, it doesn't um, matter what our intentions were. The fact remains that, you know, we hurt Angel and that's enough. So our own relationship doesn't get to excuse the way we treat the people around us either. And Mm -hmm. so she's kind of put both relationships on hold a bit. Um, Maybe in the interest of of reconciliation or because there are bigger fish to fry or because she doesn't know what the heck she wants and is taking her time and thinking about that. Like, you know, and maybe a mix of all those things. But you're right. She is kind of using the same approach with both of them. Um. Yeah. So actually, can we can we bring Gwen in at this point? I know we yeah. had her a little bit later, but because um, I feel like based on what you're saying there, like all of that's true. But there's also like there's also that sort of like instant dislike for Gwen of like sure the more flirty or electric you know, vibe between her and Angel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, like, Cordy doesn't seem to talk much or remember much about her time as a higher power, but she says she remembers seeing Gwen. Mm-hmm. So, like, what does that imply? That, like, she was more noticed? You know, she was sort of more aware or mm-hmm. hypervigilant when Gwen came along? And, right. you know... um, I don't know. I mean, we could also maybe not 100% believe her when she says she remembers that. But, like, I don't know that we have reason not to believe her. Other than that, like, she seems to forget much about what happened to her in the higher realm. Like, I don't think we get... Right, right. I don't think we get a lot of her, like, remembering stuff from when she was a higher power, do we? Like... Well... Else? Else? Other times? I mean... It is hard to tell because the whole, it was a whole like plot point that she couldn't remember. Like she comes back and she has all the amnesia, so she can't remember anything. But then she does, she gets the memories, but then doesn't want to talk about it. Um, And then she kind of is when she goes to Connor, is when she kind of, you know, flees the hotel to Connor and then and now we're here. So I feel like there hasn't been opportunity for her to really talk about what else she might know. Um, So, and this might just be like an oversight in the writing or whatever, but like, cause there is a moment in here too, where I feel like that kind of breaks down a little. Cause like when they go into Gwen's apartment, right. Mm -hmm. And Angel like whispers to her, on the side of like, oh, you know, that artifact I used to find you was like right. millions of dollars. And then like, wouldn't she remember that part of it? Like, you know right. what I mean? Like she, she says that she remembers like the stuff with Gwen, but doesn't remember Angel like giving Gwen this millions of dollars artifact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's, there's also a little, like, I feel like they're playing a little fast and loose. Right. There's a little. What Cordy remembers and doesn't remember. Right. Right. Um, right. And I, I, I remember her saying that about 
having these memories of Gwen, but also my impression was as much that the instinct is is just dislike, just on a purely gut level. Of, it's yeah. not even necessarily what she knows about Gwen. It's just like Gwen as she as she appears and gives right. off this impression of of like you said, kind of flirty seductress who acts like she knows Angel and is like right. friends with him or close with him or whatever. Um, and, and the, you know, the sort of implication there of um, like you're saying, she was, you know, how, how she was with Connor of like, there's more important things going on than mm-hmm. whatever you're concerned about. And, she gives that same, like, oh, we're concerned with the apocalypse, not, like, stealing things. And right. Of course, you know, it turns out that Gwen is as well. Yes. Just coming at it from a different angle. but Right. And uh, Cordy's not as disinterested as she is claiming right. in that moment. So there's, right. like, it's very easy to, when you're not the one who's frustrated and and angry and pining it's very easy to say get over your emotions there's more important things going on you know it's like until it becomes about your crap and then suddenly that's a little more difficult um yeah right it's easy when angel isn't interested in anyone else but as soon as there's right you know a rival or potential rival Mm -hmm. you know all bets are off i guess right right yeah and i mean it makes sense for the characters that that, that would be her reaction. I, I'm I'm a little tired of the um, women who are instantly catty towards each other trope. Um, sure. And just in general, but but I don't know that it's ill used here necessarily. Like I think that's a bigger thing in in stories than I think is often the case. Like in life. But, um, but like, also, like, I feel like with the story that they're telling of this rivalry and love triangle, then, of course, that's the way that Gwen coming in is going to affect the dynamic, is that Cordy's not sitting comfortably, but she's in the middle of these competing affections. And then that dynamic shifts when... Yeah there's somebody else who could potentially get that attention from, from Angel. So yeah, of course that's going to frustrate her. And Cordy's not like, you know, I think she's matured immensely and is probably at this point, one of the more enlightened emotionally of the characters, you know, but at the same time, like, it's been established that she's not like a pushover and, you know, and is interested in, in, I don't know, pursuing, you know, like these relationships are important to her. So it's also not going to be like, I don't, I don't expect her to just kind of roll over and not care if Angel is suddenly interested in somebody else. Um, That wouldn't necessarily be, be true to the character either. Sure. And I mean, the other side of it is that Angel definitely plays it up more than, yeah. Like it's not like he and Gwen are an item or anything, right? Like, right. They met once before, and then 
haven't seen each other since. Like, right? No, he's he wants to see Cordy squirm, like he says, right. like that he's enjoying that little that little bit of petty revenge. Um, yeah. Just he'll just milk that for what he can get out of it. Um. So yeah, and then I mean, anything else with? I mean, I think you kind of in a way covered the 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 Connor side of things um that he's sure. sort of still trying to i think angel like understands maybe as a more mature person not terribly mature but like more mature than connor um <laughs> that's that's as an, not as an that's adult, not a big feat <laughs> as a several hundred year old vampire um I think he gets he, like barely more mature than, than an his, 18 year like, old. <laughs> 17 year old son who grew up in a hell dimension. Yeah. Um, it's not saying great things. Um, so I think he gets it more. He's just angry. Um, and, you know, his pride is hurt and he feels betrayed and he's lashing out and brooding and once. Cordy to feel uncomfortable and like that's more he's just reacting out of the the sting of that whereas I feel like Connor like maybe doesn't really understand what the problem is here like it's more a thing of he's like you said he's trying to prove to Cordy that he's good enough um like if I show her how fast and strong and how what great hearing I have then suddenly, like, oh, like, I'm convinced, like, that's it. All problems will be solved. Um, and, like, he, and, and he still just, kind of sorry. thinks that the, the problem is, like, oh, they don't want me because of my connections to the beast. Like, not the fact that, like, you're, like, sleeping with Cordy, who's, like, known everybody else way longer and is too old for you anyway. And, like, mm-hmm. maybe you need to, like, sit down and and be a teenager for a bit um like i feel like he doesn't understand those things yeah i when you said like oh what great hearing i have i (laughs) it made me think of like big bad wolf and like little red rider like right what big ears you have the better to hear you with (laughs) you know like well and there's some kind of a ridiculous you know thing to that but there is something there of that idea I don't know if that falls under the heading of toxic masculinity or not, but that idea of like, if I'm impressive enough, then that'll be it. Like, that's all I need to do is prove my physical superiority. And then once I've proven that, then that solves, like, obviously she'll, you know, that's going to make her decision and, and clear everything up. So there is some of that, like, the 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 bragging about whatever he thinks is going to be impressive um so well and also like the weird comment of like i wonder where i got it from like you know like (laughs) uh right so now you're using your similarity to angel as like proof of why she should be with you because (laughs) yeah Right. No. No, stop. Just stop. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. 
I mean, she needs to get out of that apartment. Connor, Connor will be Connor. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. All right. Wesley, Fred, and Gunn. Um, was there anything else about Gwen? To maybe since we kind of brought her up, we should we well should... actually not so much about Gwen, but I mean I know. Like other than her plot function, is there anything like characterization is, wise to uh No, but this is actually more about um Angel and Cordy though. So like just talking about um like you were saying, trying to make Cordy squirm a little when they're deciding who's gonna like you know, stay up and do the various watches first and second, whatever. Um Angel tries to do his watch with Gwen. Right. And then Cordy's like, oh, shouldn't we split up like the people with superpowers, you know? Right. And um so there's like those little like just little maneuvers like that where it's like it's not just kind of like one thing she comes in and Cordy's like a little jealous and Angel kind of, you know, peels at that. But like they can it continues, right? Like it just it's mm-hmm. throughout the episode. Um and then also like like Cordy clearly tries to do that to get Angel to a point where like they're alone and they can talk and whatever. And Angel just like doesn't have any like he's just like, no. Right. We cannot talk. And Cordy just kind of accepts that, which is a little off mm-hmm. too. Like not off, but like it does seem kind of weird given how blunt and stuff that she is, is like now that she's like alone with him and she's not taking advantage of like I'm going to tell you what I think mm-hmm. at this point does seem a little strange to me, but I don't know. Maybe I don't know. What, what do you have any thoughts about that? I don't, I don't know a hundred percent how I feel or think about that. So I guess I'm yeah. just curious if you do have any, I thoughts. mean, I guess she's taking the general approach of like contrition. Like she wants him to, to talk and to air his grievances and everything. But like, also, like, she's respecting the fact that, um, she's, I don't know that, like, she owes him anything necessarily, but she's deferring to the fact that he's the one, he's, like, the injured party in the, in this situation. Um, which I guess maybe shows, like, that increased maturity of, of Cordy, um, Mm. who, yeah, used to kind of say spank your inner moppet and you know like get over your your whining which again she does say but in a much uh gentler less snarky way than she would have done before um so yeah i don't know i don't know whether i think it's off or not it's like i can kind of see the argument either way really Sure. Well, so, I mean, from a, that's less a plot thing and more a relationship thing. So that I was just thinking that's yeah. one other sort of moment where, I mean, I don't know that it doesn't, it doesn't really resolve or, you know, Mm-mm. further anything. Um, but just yeah. kind of wanted to point that out. No. And I mean, I guess the last thing with Angel is this is somewhat, conforming to the pattern of him 
separating himself and taking himself away when things get like hard and which is this is always the danger of of going off on your own is never a good idea um but on the other hand that's like only true on a purely like relationship level like he hasn't he hasn't left and he's not refusing to fight and engage um with like the beast and the apocalypse and everything it's more that he won't engage like he won't talk he won't have like that kind of heart-to-heart -heart discussion that needs to happen um so i don't know i guess that's a question for me going forward is does that have the same kind of consequences as like mm -hmm. previous times when he's like left physically like where he fired them or where he just sort of goes off renegade on his own and then there's always like consequences from that um i feel like that's almost what he's doing here just sort of emotionally even if he's physically still with the team and fighting and everything so yeah um that i guess time will tell but i mean certainly the ending hints that bad things might be coming um although i don't i don't know that that has anything to do with the way he's reacting to this relationship stuff other than i mean maybe on a metaphorical level but i guess we'll kind of have to see about that yeah um all right then switching over to wesley and fred and gun um gwen picks up on the tension so it's obvious enough um that the newcomer can kind of spot it and in some ways maybe it's easier for the newcomer to spot it because it's so expected at this point that fred and or uh, gun and wesley are going to be snarking at each other and acting like rivals and Fred is kind of torn in between that. And she's had issues with Gunn, but they've kind of kept that hidden. So like, in some ways, I feel like it takes Gwen coming in from the outside to be a little bit more perceptive than even like Angel or Cordy are about that whole situation. Mm. Um, sure. So she kind of says, like notices that, that Wesley and Fred are, close i guess um and you know she says i'm surprised a few months ago she was ready to wear sackcloth and ashes for you um just a little pre presumptuous i don't know that fred wouldn't wear sackcloth and ashes for wesley or for gun i don't think it's that she doesn't care about him anymore but they're distanced since you know what happened with the portal and then with Wesley coming back, she's rekindling that old camaraderie that she had with him. Hmm. And Wesley's like part of the team now. Can I like point that out? Like, yeah, he, Wesley well, I mean, or Lauren kind of is 
like, yeah, Wesley, even Wesley's down there. Angel, like, you're off brooding by yourself, but, like, even Wesley is with the group, which is, like, is all forgiven and forgotten? No, but he's there, and he's around, and he's pitching in, and it's expected that he's there. Um, gone and, you know, gets his digs in and everything, but, like, He's just sort of, I don't know, ex expected now. So that's a yeah. big change. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of that is the still impending apocalypse. Sure. So like, like it's almost like that. This it's an all hands on deck circumstance situation. So, I mean, yes, it's not literally raining fire still, but it's kind of been nonstop since that happened mm -hmm. right um so i would just say like let's keep an eye on mm -hmm. does that continue to be the case after whatever immediate threats are over mm -hmm. which they're not at this point like right. now the sun is dark and right we know that like the purpose of that was to have basically open all the doors to where the demons and vampires live Mm -hmm. you know so we're not beyond the apocalyptic you know yeah. stuff at this point but like i would just say maybe let's keep an eye on you know what like what happens when it's no longer end of the world mm -hmm. you know situation mm -hmm. and i'm not I, I don't mean that to say like to be leading in a, one direction mm -hmm. or another i just yeah, I've never thought about that from that particular angle before, so hmm. we can we can see. But you're right. Like at this point, he's there helping out. Expected, like even Gunn kind of accepts his attendance. <laughs> you know, Wesley's attendance. You know, or not attendance. Uh, his being around, whatever the right word for that is. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, presence and so that's interesting right like that's mm -hmm. like like it's not that they've stopped sniping but it's right. not like like the stuff that gun's saying isn't like go away right. it's it's just like well how would you deal with it you know like right. that kind of stuff um right so well just a thought Right. And Wesley's given it back, you know, and a lot of it is undermining gun, you know, like kind of pointing out the things that, um, yeah. or, or maybe they're not even true, but, but he's picking at what are perceived weak spots. Like gun is a, you know, strategic thinker, you know, of, Oh, brilliant. Sure. Put the thing that'll stave off perpetual darkness right where the demon knows. And he goes, oh, you got a better idea? And he says, give me time. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, five minutes and I'll come up with ten plans way better than that. And, and it's like this kind of like, again, competing for Fred in that, oh, let me show you how better I am kind of way. You know, and it's like, well, Wesley doesn't have super strength or hearing or anything like that, but he has this, you know, brilliance that he can kind of 
Flash. Um, and that's what they're kind of uniting over. And like, there were definitely even scenes where they're all conferencing where I noticed Fred's like standing nearer to Wesley. Like it's like moments where it's, you know, Gunn will be over here and like Wesley and Fred are like over there. And, you know, it just becomes this just little subtle realigning of who is her partner in these situations. Um, and as the kind of academics, they're getting uh, paired up a lot together. Um, so, yeah. Sure. Um, and I guess the only other thing with Gunn, too, is his kind of consistent suspicion about Connor. You know, like, yeah. that's, you know, more um, something that Gunn is more fixated on than anybody else. Um, you know, of he hasn't done anything wrong lately. Um, so just those little reminders there of his mistrust of Connor too. Um, anything else with Wesley, Fred Gunn, that whole thing? No? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, moving on to like plot stuff. Um, we get a fair amount of like plot and mythology in this. Um, sure. And a lot of it is still trying to figure out what are the beasts motivations and origins and sort of mystery of all that. Um, so just to kind of go through what we learn, uh, Wesley finds out, and I'm going to butcher all the names, but she, he figures out who the little girl was. Um, Mesectet, something like that. Um, yeah. One of the, the raw tet who were, of five enormously powerful beings linked uh, to an embodiment of the ancient god Ra, mm -hmm. um, who was a sun god, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so only the totems know their true purpose, but kind of, I don't know if they ever explicitly state what their purpose is, but they're linked to the sun somehow. No, they don't, but... Um... Manjet does kind of like uh, he, he gives a description about like they each kind of had a different role right like mm -hmm. um, uh, sorry I'm trying to find that exact reference but um So, like, I can't find the exact reference here, but um, basically talking, like, you know, that, that they each kind of, like, one of them is, like, for the noontime sun, and one of them's for, like, mm -hmm. the evening sun, and, like, so there's kind of, like, I mean, whether that, it doesn't necessarily get the purpose, but that, like, they did each kind of have different roles mm -hmm. and um, yeah. responsibilities that presumably they would have, uh, you know, maybe purposes that align with that. Um, right, kind of right. Thing. 
Right, which is kind of reflected in the diversity of, like, their appearance and everything. That you have, like, one of them is a being of pure light, and one of them manifests as a little girl, and wasn't one, like, a tiger or something? Like, there's some, like, reference to, like, sure. the one that's yeah. almost kind of beastly in form. Um, and then, you know, Manny is, or Manjet is, you know, this kind of normal, like, just dude like there's nothing that you know impressive or uh supernatural about him at all he's just like you know a guy so um you kind of get that that they're not all the same there's they have different abilities maybe different purposes different appearances um even that, like, Manny mentions how he didn't like the little girl because she was, like, evil. So, like, there's a varying spectrum of um, morality between them, even. Um, yeah. Like, she had these connections to darkness that others are kind of, like, maybe they're sort of kind of amoral, but they're not necessarily, like, supervillains. And there are, sure. you know, others that were, like, uncomfortable with her connections to, you know, yeah. the the... The, the partners and everything um right well and like even i mean you sort of get that idea of like that there's a perversity of like this ancient evil thing liking to dress itself up as a little girl right yes. like that that it's not like presumably they can take any form they want so the forms they take must have some kind of meaning to mm -hmm. them like whether we know what they are is a different story right. but um, just that idea that like yeah like and I mean we can get into the whole like creepy little girl motif in horror films like yeah. that certainly happens but um, yeah no so I found the reference too by the way um, Gunn says you know speaking of you ain't you Tet folks uh, supposed to be almighty and colossal and Manny goes the midday totem is man, the neutral totem, the potential of every human soul. So it seems to be referring to him. Mm. Um, one, man, he's, you know, speaking like human man, but also like, it's short for Manny, right? Like, right. and Manjet. And um, he's the neutral totem, the midday totem, implying that like, there are the other totems are of other parts of the day, right? Mm -hmm. um, which might include night. So maybe like, maybe you know, maybe the um, whatever her name is. Sorry, I I didn't write down. I forget uh, the little girl totem oh, yeah, is yeah. is you know actually like absence of sun or something like like maybe there's a implication there of like. If Manny is midday, then you know she's midnight or something like sure. that. Sure. Um, well, you and know, yeah, you get a complete absence of sun. And linking it to the movement of planets, and you know the, the way that nature works, and and having mm -hmm. that kind of link kind of implies that, like, even if she's evil or allied with evil, there's also like a place for her like the fact that like each of them has their purpose and um you know you get sure. that you get that implication of a, of a cycle of yeah of the the sun 
it, it's right and proper for the sun to metaphorically rise and fall and the the changes that that creates in the natural world are necessary for there to be a world and for there to be life and for things to function even if part of that means plunging into darkness every so often um sure. that doesn't necessarily make the darkness good per se although it it at least justifies the existence of it like this isn't like meant to like what the beast is trying to do is unnatural right like stop the flow of time stop the natural cycle of things and and arrest things in one particular state of being which is bad um whereas like if they're emblematic of the sun then there is this kind of proper time and rotation for all of them and it's a matter of like the sure. the, the ebbing and flowing of that um I mean, I, I know it's a different belief system and all of that, but almost in, in this, you know, sort of a, a yin and yang idea there. Of like, right. You know, one, like neither is necessarily good or bad. They're just opposites of each other. And so mm -hmm. they kind of balance each other out. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, here you've got five things balancing each other maybe, but... Um, that's maybe sort of the same idea, like that there's, like you said, there's a rotation or a, a balancing there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I do find it interesting then, like knowing this, like, because like, until this, this episode, really, it seemed like the little girl was like a creature of Wolfram and Hart and like this, right. you know thing that was a conduit to you know the senior partners or whatever and it was but because it chose to be not because it was like right somehow like you know coerced or part of like the system of wolfram and hart right. it's like this whole other thing and it's like oh i'm just going to take this like side job as like right. a conduit right. to the senior partners in this white room kind of right. thing. Right. Um, and is that in any way in conflict with her other roles and, and duties? Like, is that just part of her, you know, as, as, as if we're speculating that she's the, the, the midnight to Manny's high noon, like, is that part of her function is to be an ally of, the powers of darkness or is she going off book there by doing that and you know i think that that's a little bit unclear um sure you know but yeah i think you're right like i would have assumed that she was put there or created by the senior partners themselves like as part of their their network or part of their security system or communications or whatever it was that that was mm -hmm. her sole purpose um so yeah it is kind of interesting to see that she potentially is i don't know how ancient the senior partners are but like she's maybe at least as ancient if not more so um and that her sure her existence isn't necessarily in relation to them originally yeah 
Right, right. And, yeah, whatever whatever connection she might have to the senior partners certainly seems to be uh, some a creature that predates Wolfram and Hart as an yes. institution. right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. So they they figure out that this is what the beast wants. I mean, we still don't really know why he wants this. Like, it's that thing of every question raises five more questions about what his true motivations are and the mystery of that. Um, but at least they find out the short-term plan, which is taking out these totems one by one. And each of them has something sort of buried inside them that he then assembles to do this ritual um, to turn off the sun, which he uh, is successful at, it seems. Like, kind of seems like they're about to get to him right at the last minute and prevent it, but... Um, you know, no. He, like, gets them together, and at least it seems that the sun is plunging into darkness. Mm -hmm. um, so that's yeah. not great. And we didn't, we did not talk about with, um, with Fred the fact that they use a portal to, uh, to try to banish him, which Wesley is not crazy about. Right. Um, so yeah. And it doesn't work. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Um and she it's it's Fred and Wesley very explicitly that like do that together in partnership. Like this is their thing. Um Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're almost doing like the Anya thing, right? When um was it with Glory? Where she's like off to the side reading like the spells, um, or was it Willow? I think she no, does it, it with Willow. Willow. Yeah, it was yeah. with Willow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, I could. Uh, sorry, just trying to remember. Yeah, I, all I could remember was like they're in the magic box and yeah, she's like doing this, this her like off to the side like slow like chanting the spell and like right. Um, yeah, it's like they've like assembled their little like D and D fellowship group of like they've got like the warrior and the mages and like right you know yeah whatever else well and it's like that that's a reflection of the totems right of like everyone has a role to play and sure like yes angel's the leader sure. but in some ways they're all integral no one's necessarily more important than the other because you need everybody to to play their part in order to succeed as a team. Um, so what does that mean that it doesn't work? You know, like, what does that say about the group dynamics? You know, like, so Cordy and Connor are forbidden to, to fight and help because of Angel's issues. Um, you know. Yeah, but do you get the sense, so... I don't know. I get the sense there that it's more like, because he says like, it's okay, I'm here now. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't like, it's almost like 
he's accepting what Lauren says earlier of like Connor will always be your son and like this is him almost embracing that I'm mm-hmm. the father and it's my job as the father to like take care of my kid. Yeah, like, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't I don't get that so much as like I'm banning you from this fight as I'm no. here and I'll take care of you, you know. Y- yeah, but not in like not in like a punitive way, but maybe in an overprotective way of sure. Of maybe you guys stay here and um protective i don't i don't know that i'd say overprotective though even because like connor just got thrown out of like a three-story window well that's true i mean and i mean connor's tough we've seen that but that's still gonna shake a guy up and his nose is bloody and you know he's not like whatever like i don't i think he's saying like we'll handle this like you've you're you know Stay here. And and like to Cordy, I don't at this point, I'm not saying he's I'm not saying Angel's like hundred percent over all his issues or anything. Like mm-hmm. will that's remains to be seen. But I do feel like, at least to Cordy at this point, it's again not like he's not like sidelining her like in the same way that he does earlier, even in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's it's more like you take care of Connor. Like like, not in a mean or sarcastic way, but, like, someone needs to take Connor. You do it. We've got our things to do. Mm-hmm. And so, so I would, so that's, so Cordy's the healer of the group, right? If we're doing, like, the Dungeon and Dungeons sure. analogy, you know, again, like, the, the mages and the champions go off the fight, and, like, you know, Cordy, the healer, heals the wounded member of the team. and Right, right. You know, whatever. Um I, so, I guess I, that's the way it seems to me. I, I don't mean to, like, if you have a different view, then then that's fine. I, I, I just wanted to make sure that I kind of got that in there. Because I, I do feel like there's a difference at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, maybe, like, the stuff, like I was saying about Wesley, it's like, okay, this is how he feels in the heat of the battle. When the battle's over, is it going to be the same thing? You know, maybe not. <laughs> right. Um, but right. at least at that moment, it seems to me less a contentious, like, sidelining because I just don't, I'm not happy with you. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, versus, like, there's a legitimate reason why they shouldn't go into the fight with them. No, and that's true. No, and I think there is a different quality to it there at the end. Um but, you know, I don't know, whatever the the reasons, I still feel like there's there's a necessity of of the team being fully integrated and and I don't feel like it it is. I I guess I do feel like it is more of that in the heat of the moment, like he's able to get over it when you know, things happen like Connor's life is threatened, then, you know, he's his son and he loves him and will take care of him. Um, But is that a full getting over it? Is that a full reconciliation? Not necessarily. I don't know. Like, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see in the next episode, I guess. Um, But yeah, I didn't necessarily think it was like 
um, like a punishment that like, oh, you're not allowed because I'm mad at you kind of thing. Um, sure. Sure. Um, so I guess we should talk about the, the final revelation, though, at the end. Um, because Cordy, after getting flashes of what she thinks is a vision, um, which she hasn't had since she got back, right? Like, hasn't had any um, visions, and we've kind of wondered whether that was a permanent thing or not. Then she has well, these kind of... I mean, visions of the beast. Right, but... Yes, right. But not like her old visions of... No, not like Random visions to help used to have. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No. And the, and this is more just vision of the beast, right? Like, this yeah, is more right. of the same kind of thing. Like, yeah. 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 Right. And then, so she gets more of that as it goes on, but at the end has this sort of epiphany that it it's not really a vision of the future. It's more of a memory. And um, this is part of her when she was omniscient and saw all of Angel's life, which is, it just occurred to me, that's what kind of sent her running out of the hotel to begin with, wasn't it? Like, she gets her memory back. Yep. And she and Angel are about to, like, get closer than they had been. And... What's what breaks that up is I saw like all that stuff that you did. <laughs> and like I think I need to like go think about that and have some space. So this is like a memory of that time of Angelus, who still kind of looks like Liam. So it's like this is early Angelus so, is the yeah, implication yeah. is like it, it doesn't look like Angelus at the height of his power. This looks like it must be a newly turned um, Liam who's, you know, early in his career, um, had some interaction with the Beast and bad things happened. And we don't know what, and we don't know why Angel can't remember it, but that's, that's the way it is. So now Angel's this kind of sleeper agent who is apparently can be controlled by the beast maybe like has hmm. blackouts or or can be manipulated to do stuff like you know drug cordy's drink or you know do whatever so um yeah and wesley's implication at the end is that they'll need to talk to Angelus in order to understand this. Um, that's what it implies to me anyway, is, is we need Angelus, as in, like, Angel will have to um, go away for a little while. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> that's an interesting thought. And one we'll have to revisit maybe at the future date. Yeah. Like next week after the next episode. Mm-hmm.
Okay, which, Andy. which, speaking of which, we do have another episode of Angel. Oh, I was um, going to ask if it was Angel yes. before we go back to Buffy. Okay. Um. Yes, it's it's a. Yes, yeah, so the next uh, Angel, uh, the next episode we watch will be Angel uh, Awakening, is the uh, title, and it has. Um, nothing to do with either the Kate Chopin novel or the Robin Williams, Robert De Niro movie um, or any other media labeled similarly, um, as far as I know. So, That's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good place to, that's a good question to end on <laughs> or a good thought to end on anyway. Um, because I don't, I think we can talk about it more once we see the next episode. Okay. Um, which means we get to move on to BSG, mm-hmm. which is uh, the continuation of Gata's short mutiny, mutiny on the Galactica. Right. The continuing uh, of his self-destruction. M- mutiny on the Battlestar. Mutiny on the Battlestar. Um, yeah, so kind of struggled and (laughs) I I struggled between plot and character stuff, um, Mm -hmm. as far as how we talk about this stuff. And I mean, it's hard to break it out into strictly one or the other. So we're going to end up jumping around. We did kind of break it down into character stuff, but kind of a couple spots are going to be a little more plot heavy just because of how things roll but mm-hmm. um we do get to start off with hot dog and nacho uh, which i really wanted to be hot dog and nachos yeah yeah um because that would be like you're at a baseball game and or a movie <laughs> or something and you yeah. get some hot dog um like how many pilots call signs are just named for snacks right <laughs> uh yo chippy yeah uh, right but um yeah, so I mean, picking up from the previous episode where uh, Gaeta ordered uh, to open fire on um, Rosalind's ship, and Hot Dog has the ship in the sights, and and that initially doesn't know, but then Rosalind puts out a distress call. Like Rosalind suddenly becomes like the best communications officer in the entire fleet. <laughs> this episode um she's somehow able to like break through all jamming attempts and other technical barriers right um to get her message out um maybe that's just because she's still a prophet and you know is has someone on her side helping her out Um, sure but anyway manages to break through um, put some doubt. Da- I mean, hot dogs already sort of like not sure about it. Mm-hmm. And then like, here's the message and is like, wait, wait a minute. That's the president. Like, right. should we really be shooting her down? Um, right. Which good for him, you know? Right. And uh, you definitely get the impression that hot dogs not in on the plan. Like right. hot dog happens to be on patrol at this time. Whereas like Narcho is a plant. So, like he's out there because he made sure to be on rotation, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
I also have to. So right. So then Nacho like jumps in front of him, which is like, why didn't he just do that anyway? Like he could have, if if like if he could just as easily have jumped in front of Hot Dog as he does. Like, why doesn't he just do that instead of like mm-hmm. spending five minutes yelling at Hot Dog to do it? Sure. Uh, not five minutes. It's like ten seconds, but it feels like five minutes. And um. <laughs> couple thoughts about that i mean obviously like we know like nacho's in on it right we saw like his little brief encounter with starbuck Mm -hmm. before and and you know wanting to make sure that he's kind of like in on things because uh you know gata and uh zarek wanting him to be in on things because like they know he's kind of loyal to the cause Mm -hmm. uh but also like can we talk for a minute about um missile locks because hmm. like how good is a missile lock if you are like so close and like can't hit the ship that Can you're swerve supposedly out of the way of it. locked to maybe this is like okay cylon pilots are just like just have that good of like mm-hmm. reaction time that they can do things but i don't know i feel like the skin job Cylons that we've seen like are fallible in the same ways that many humans are fallible. Mm-hmm. So that seems unlikely. I don't know. I Sure. That, that seemed a little, uh, well, yeah. contrived. So, um, you know, I hate to say this because I think these are great episodes and I really like them overall. I feel like if they have a, a recurring flaw. And and I think because we're going through these in such detail, they're, it's, it's harder to avoid the conclusion that like all the ways that, let's call them the good guys, a team Adama, the fact that they, the ways that they, all the, the, you know, those people escape their various predicaments are frustratingly like contrived, I guess you would say. Yeah. Like, and I feel like he's my favorite character, so call this bias, but I feel like Gata's plan was so fracking good that you had to kind of find ways to make it fail. And it was things like not guarding Adama properly or or hangar decks right. that appear out of nowhere or or missile locks that suddenly don't hit their targets. And like... I feel like it's like, come on, like, let's give credit to the the mutiny that, like, the only way they fail is by these kinds of things that should be, and I'm not saying that Gaeta and Zarek deserve to win or that they did everything right, that clearly they have their issues and they make their mistakes. Um, so I, the outcome is what it is. I'm not complaining about that. It's more like these little moments where you feel like, if 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 this i don't know if you didn't want adama if you didn't have the outcome preset would you have had these moments where it's like oh gosh how are we going to get roslyn out of this situation or how are we going to get adama and ty out of this situation um and i feel like there's just a few too many of those throughout these these episodes it just bugs me a, a little bit they're more glaring now than they've been on previous times that i've seen them sure yeah i think um 
the airlock one's interesting you threw that in there i i kind of feel like the stuff where like Tyrrell's involved is less that way than some of the other stuff like definitely I, we talked about it last week adama and ty like overtaking their much younger and more fit guards like right seems a little yeah yeah unlikely well um, and i want to get to Tyrrell in this episode because that i love um so we should definitely well, i'm not and, lumping all the Tyrrell stuff in there but yeah no but i i feel like even like the airlock thing like that makes more sense to me because like Tyrrell would be the guy who knows about like the weird airlock that's out of commission and you know is actually perfectly safe though you know what i mean sure you know what i mean but wouldn't gata know about that too i feel like that's the kind of detail that like wouldn't have got overlooked not if i mean unless he just didn't know about it unless he just wasn't privy to that information let me just acknowledge that we're going into like way head canon yes. canon stuff here. But let's do it because so, it's like I want to like the episode, so let's make it work. So <laughs> my my thing there is that for Tyrrell, who tends to act more on instinct than like deliberate thought, sometimes I feel like he would have like let's say like. We don't know how long he spent fixing up this airlock on his own. Mm-hmm. But, like, maybe it's since even before he was a Cylon. Or I, before he discovered he was a Cylon. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we don't... Because he says it was, like, damage in um, the raid on New Caprica, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if he's fixing it... Like, I could see this... Like, think about, like, he built a, a Viper... Mm-hmm. Right on his own, and that was his little pet project. Sure, like I could see this being his like latest pet project. Sure, and just something that he goes and works on on his own to try to like retain some of his sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's before or after he found out he was a Cylon or whatever, and I could see he's the kind of person who would be able to do that mm-hmm. without someone like Gaiden necessarily noticing, mm. and without like attaching it to like the rest of the ship so that it appears as like Mm -hmm. a thing, you know, as, as a place that is working right. And, you know, part of like the overall ships, right. Whatever, like system, this, this, you know, whatever system it is where they can tell where things are on fire and. Well, and that's, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I could see that as being like, if if Gator writes that off as we don't need to worry about that airlock, it's offline. Um, right. Then nobody's escaping from there, so we can leave that part of the ship undetected. Meanwhile, Tyrrell's been working on getting it back up and hasn't made a and, formal announcement about that yet. And um, isn't right. And he may not even have like a reason for why he's doing it. It's just. This right. is something that was damaged and it's something I can fix. And so I'm going to work on fixing it. Like, right. Right. It, especially since like, he's not the chief of the deck anymore. Like sure. he's been demoted. He's off doing other things and kind of like, this is his, in his quiet private time, you know, he just wants to go fix the airlock. Right. This is his, his little 
you know, tinkering, yeah, you know, side project. Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. So, I, I can buy that. So I, again, total made up head cannony explanation there Yeah. on my part, but I feel like that's why no, I that's feel pretty like convincing. putting, putting his stuff. No, I can't. I, I wish I could do the same thing with like Adama and Ty taking over, you know, their, uh, uh, you know, their guards or, you know, I don't even know. What, what was the other? There was like one more example. That uh, we were, well, we started talking about Hot Dog and Nacho um, not hitting their target at close range. Right, right. So like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's like, if, you know what? If it's, Hot Dog, I, I could I could believe it more if it was Hot Dog who took the dog. shot. Because, because it, like, I almost, I'm glad Hot Dog didn't take the shot. Because, like, I want his character to not be the kind of character to take mm, the shot. Right. But I also feel like it would be more believable for a hot dog to miss his target and hit the base ship that is like the alarm. Right. Like that to me is right. almost like the comically like tragic right. Right. aspect to it that we've come to know and love about hot dog. Right. Right. Hapless hot dog totally would have with a missile lock still missed his target. Right. And hit their allies and hit the allies. Ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's totally true. on accident and screwed things up. But, right. but but like yeah, I I agree. Like because that's not what happened, and because it's like Narcho and right, like it becomes then like the writers trying to write themselves out of it's like the misery complaint, right? Mm. Of like you know you put your characters in such a right obvious obvious what's going to happen next situation but then right you know you write them out of it somehow right you made it so tough for them that it's very difficult to get them out of it convincingly um and i don't think all of that episode all of this episode is that way but but there are certain moments like that where it just feels like oh that's awfully convenient um and i feel like even if they just hadn't mentioned the word missile lock that would have helped if it was right. just if, like a, if it was like you a, could have just fired the missile, just fired and missed like a, a zigzaggy chase sequence in which oh, I can't get a lock on them. And they're all over the place. Like yeah, that one line would have like just made it that much more um, believable, but um, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, wow. Spent 15 minutes on hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we should talk about Rosalind though, because she does get to the spaceship. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't even know that I have a ton to talk about with her either. Um, you know, again, she becomes super well, and this is the other thing, right? Like suddenly, Rosalind is like the best, you know, at communications. She's like the Trump of communications for the fleet. Well, she does get the help of one of the Leobins. No, I yeah, like the third time mm-hmm. that she like breaks through and what like the first time it's like, oh, here, let me flip this switch in the raptor. I don't know what I'm doing, but I clearly know how to broadcast to mm-hmm. everyone and everything. Um, I don't know. I that's not a huge deal, I yeah, guess, yeah. but uh yeah, I mean, the the big thing, I think, with um, Rosalind is is just convincing the Cylons to stick around and that Adama, 
will regain control of the Galactica. And that in the meantime, um, to use the strategic move of like moving into the fleet, hoping, I'm sure. I mean, at this point, like you have to wonder how much of what Rosalind believes, like does she actually believe yeah. Zarek and Gata won't fire on them amidst the fleet? And like, it's kind of a big leap of faith, I think. Yeah. Like, uh, it kind of comes down to who's more willing to risk the fleet. And she puts her money down, you know? Like, uh, yeah. that's that is I, what it is. It's a little troubling, you know? And, like, using the fleet for cover, like, it, it's, oh, a, it's, a, it's, it's effective, a total... but like, is that... um. Is, yeah. is that the, the morally justifiable move? Like, and even the way she's like, you know, Gato won't do it. He doesn't have the guts. Like, that's a good thing. Like, <laughs> this is the this is the problem. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you're willing to jeopardize the fleet, and, and he's not. So the assumption that Gato will continue to be in control. Well, this is true, right? Zarek absolutely we, would. Jeopardize when we get the fleet. to Gato and Zarek, we right. need we'll talk about that because you get. Gaeta saying like, "Oh, now we have a military and you know civilian commander all in one." Right. Uh, there, there isn't a guarantee that it will be Gaeta at the helm all the time. Uh, right. 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 So, like, I mean, I mean, look, like, I don't, I don't think Rosalind is expecting. Like, maybe she's being naive that that. Zarek won't take control there, but I don't think she expects the fleet to be fired upon. But at the same time, that's a risk, you know, yeah. it, that's a risk that she takes and um, maybe necessary for, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's one thing that I think in terms of the, the fact that Adama and Rosalind come out victorious I guess that's one thing I do like is it kind of acknowledges that like that doesn't just happen. I mean, there are certain things that just happen, like convenient things, but um, it's no, no, you're good. <laughs> um, we can, we can maybe why don't you start over with your explanation? Right. We can cut this part. Let me pause out. for a second. I, I that was way more like. I wasn't trying to uh, draw attention. I was more like waiting to make sure that the audio was going to like come through. Yeah. All right. Let me pause and restate that. Um, so little conveniences aside from a bigger plot point, I guess that's one thing I do like about the way that Rosalind and Adama end up winning is it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that Rosalind has to, like, in order to win, she has to be ruthless. Like, she doesn't win if she doesn't make this move. Um, and I think sure. you can argue ethically about, you know, the morality of the move that she makes, but it's essential for her to be victorious, because otherwise it's going to be battle between the two like the Battlestar and the base ship. Um, like that's the next move is to take out the base ship. Um, so that's the only way for her to, you know, to win this this war. Um, so yeah, 
and as with a lot of other things this season, it's like, you know, for all that I really like Rosalind and admire her in some ways, there's also things that she does that are troubling, you know? Um, yeah. And she's, you know, her, her, her methods here are um, a bit, uh, I don't know, suspect. But on yeah. the other hand, the outcome is effective. So how can you, you know, I'm not sure what else I would tell her to do um, as an alternative. So. Well, that, yeah. And that's the thing is like, she, she's advising them not to jump away, which they seem to feel like is the safest thing. But at the same time, yeah, like if you're not going to jump away, that's fine. But if you stay here kind of like off to the side as like a standalone target, then mm -hmm. what's going to happen then? So, yeah, what are the other options? There aren't a whole lot. And I mean, the other thing is like, I wonder if I wonder if part of her thought process isn't that. If if she and like the Cylons die then like the fleet's kind of lost anyway. I mean, mm. it's possible sure. that, uh, you know, Adama will take it back and, and, you know, everything and maybe, but like, right. As arrogant as it might sound, she maybe feels like, you know, she still has an integral part here. And this is like her, th this is all part of her returning to public mm -hmm. life. And, leadership right mm -hmm. and so maybe she feels like if it doesn't matter if like the fleet gets destroyed as well because if if i'm destroyed then the fleet's lost anyway yeah no and i think that's a good point like whether they die in the cold of space because they didn't accept cylon ftl technology and they never find a habitable planet or whether like cavill hunts them down and that's the end like I think that is her belief that without this alliance and her as the leader to make that happen, that's the end of the fleet anyway. So you can't hold anything back in terms of your willingness to fight for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I guess like the other big scene with her is the like, I, I will end you with every bullet ever. Like she becomes this like avenging sure. angel of, you know, this, I, I'm coming for all of you. Like she alone yeah. is this like force to be right. Like not the base ship's not coming for you. I'm coming for you and I'm going to kill you. Like just that kind of, I don't even know whether to call that arrogant. It's so far above human yeah. ability well, that it becomes this supernatural kind of force. It's a very Kurt Russell tombstone kind of <laughs> moment, right? I, I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Right, like, right. You know, the, that just that uh, anger and and assurance, you, you know, very the, the confidence of that. Like, mm -hmm. not only am I going to like win, but I'm going to win handily. And right. you're not going to even factor into the end result right. of what right. uh, what's going on right yeah right. <laughs> i will use every cannon every bomb every bullet every weapon i have down to my eye teeth my eye who says eye teeth 
like like she's gonna bite them yes. like okay i mean sure I don't even know like I'm, what what are our IT like I don't it's like the canines I guess I don't tooth? know I don't know um, a, can, a canine tooth especially one like, in the upper jaw she's the, going to use her upper canine it's the little pointy ones um yeah yeah um now I'm like feeling mine with my tongue <laughs> or what I what I think it is because I don't actually know but right that's what she's going to use to. To, to end you. And I like that, that, that <laughs> verb. I Using will, it as, I will end you. Yeah. Um, not like, I'm not going to defeat you. It's like, I'm going to end you. Like your very existence is threatened by, by this. So yeah. yeah Bringing is like Oh, is that, the... that's goodwill hunting, right? I will end you. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember isn't, that. Isn't part. that, that's what, uh, yeah. Anyway. It's when he's like, gets really mad at Will. Mm. Robin Williams. I don't remember that. Um, That's all right. But I I've seen you. that movie many, many times. Um, um, yeah. So, no, that is a good scene. Uh, yeah, it, it, and it's, again, very ambiguous. It's like, I never know whether to feel like rooting for her or a little terrified of her in that moment. <laughs> like, you know, and I think that's probably as by design. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, sure. All right. <clears throat> so anything else with Rosalind? I mean, other than like, okay, at the end, like, they stand down when they hear, you know, she hears Adama. Like, she thinks that Adama and Ty and everyone is dead, right? Right, right. Um, there's that part of it. But that's all kind of, like, resolution. It's yes, like, yeah. Uh, okay, all right. So, moving on. Um, all right, we're doing good. Half hour on the first two people. <laughs> um, sorry, well, first three, we had some Narcho in there, too. Yeah, hot dog um, took up a disproportionate amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> as, as is his custom. <laughs> yeah. Uh Tyrrell. Let's talk about Tyrrell. Yeah. Um and yeah, I really like we can be short with this, but like sure. I really like his um part in this. I mean yeah, it's mostly just too. him crawling through access ducts no, and but that's why it's good, is like you just get these little reminders throughout the episode of He's off running towards something and yeah. crawling through crawl spaces. And it's not, it's maybe you're kind of figuring it out, but you're not really told what his plan is. It's just, he's this little, you know, side plot running alongside right. off to do something that nobody knows about. And, and honestly, I didn't remember watching the first time what he was all about. And I thought it was like a rescue attempt. I thought mm. he was, but then it's like, no, like, Lee and, like, them rescue the Cylons and, you know, in Hilo. Um, Cylons and Cylon lovers. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like... Toaster lovers. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the toaster lovers. And, uh... Tyrell's still crawling through the pipe. Like, okay. Right. He's... he's And, um... 
of course, like while he's doing that, he runs into Kelly, mm-hmm. who we haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Or, or, was he in the last episode? I guess maybe we saw him in the last I episode. I don't but think like, he was in the last episode. I don't. I couldn't remember, but like before then, it's been like New Caprica, or maybe maybe it was after New Caprica, but like it so not long after, right? It was. We haven't seen him. I mean, not that we saw him a ton before, but we haven't seen him since um, leading up to Baltar's trial. He was the one who was killing all the lawyers. Um, And so he's been in, so he gets busted out. Like, I think the assumption, and a good one, probably being, well, this guy's clearly on our side. So get him out. And, you know, he's one of the ones in the, in the mutiny because he's anti Cylon reconciliation, um, which doesn't quite go according to plan, but that's, I think the, the theory. Um, okay. Yeah. I didn't remember that part of it, that he was the one killing. Right. So he's like been like in the brig this whole time, like since that happened. Sure. As happens when you kill people. Yes. Um, okay. So, yeah. He and Tyrrell have sort of a little heart-to-heart, right? A little reminiscence of days of yore. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's upset about it, but, like, lets Tyrrell go, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's like, I don't know how to process these conflicted feelings I'm having, so... Get out of here, you dirty skin job and, mm-hmm. uh, or fracking toaster, I think he calls him, um, as one does, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of lets him go. And I guess this is like the first like sign that like maybe he's not fully on board with the mutant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like Kelly is obviously sort of a stand in here, right? Because like he, so at one point, like, He's like second in command, right? When Ty takes mm-hmm. over. Right. So like this is like Right. He's above Gata, yeah. This is like a, a big sort of jump. Or or not like I guess a fall for him, obviously. But like mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he is he is like there is a sense of like like he at one point at least was very, very high in the pecking order. And mm-hmm. so like Maybe maybe that's part of it is that he has a different understanding of what's going on mm. than than others, just from his viewpoint. I guess I don't know at this point, like who's next in command. Because like we've seen like Gata serve as like XO mm-hmm. before as well. Um or like even like take the com or take the con when uh both like Ty and Adama are away from the CIC. Right. So does that mean Gata's? But he's still a lieutenant, right? Like I, I mean, feel like they've had Hilo be more like the new Kelly. Oh, right. Because he's like, he's a captain now, right? Right. Like Hilo's the captain, which is what Kelly was. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, right. Okay. You're right. Like, that makes more sense. Right. Like Hilo kind of stepped into that role that, that Kelly was 
pushed out of or or moved out well, of I, relinquished yeah, pushed himself yes. out of by <laughs> killing people yes yeah um right. right okay okay that makes more sense so um well to finish with Tyrrell anyway so like he meets Kelly and they have a nice little chat and Kelly lets him go um Tyrrell keeps crawling, 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 crawling through. It's like it's like Dory, but like crawling. Um, <laughs> and he keeps crawling through the ship um, till we eventually see that like he he's going to the FTL drives, and like it's taken him like the entire the entirety of the mutiny to crawl like I don't know how long like right. the Galactic is, but like from wherever he was to you know in the airlock area or or wherever it was that we last saw him to like crawl the length of his ship to, right. um, you know, the FTL drives and he gets there just in time, just before they're like, like when they're counting down, which again, magically now we're following protocol again and counting down from 10 because dramatic right. effect. Sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, and is able to like pull the one part that is needed to be pulled out. Right. Um, after first trying to log in and finding out that he's like no longer in the system and Right. I, I like that moment of like access denied. Like that damn it. Like I of got course. fired, you know? <laughs> right. Um which Right. And I like mean, well and found out that he was a Cylon and stuff. So of course they're gonna right. lock him out of the system. Like right. it pro like because at first you almost think like, oh, like Gata must have like deactivated. But that's like, no, actually probably it was before Gata. Right, right. Like took control. Like he's like they found out he was a Cylon and he's been working with the Cylons. Right. You know, to upgrade all the drives. Like, of course, they're going to like. Right. Deauthorize his access. And, right. Um, that makes sense. Right. And right. so. Uh, right. Or I wonder if it was even back when he first like quit the the crew chief position if like that's a you Maybe, know not just any old like deckhand chief. has access to the ftl like you have to be chief of the deck to right to get that or something right um yeah that that could be too but yeah, one or the other i think it's probably like definitely one of those um but i do like the the symbolism of um him having to like rip it out with his bare hands you know um mm -hmm. like because you kind of again and i feel like that was one thing we talked about early on was you know the contrast of like every man blue collar tyrell down in the hangar deck working with his hands and machines and all this stuff and you've got kind of more intellectual gata up in cic kind of as the like brain of the operation and so the fact that it kind of comes down between the two um and that like when he can't when he doesn't have access he just physically rips the thing out um right. i think it's pretty cool and especially if you remember his his speech to the union about when the machine doesn't work you you know when the, when the machine goes bad you you take your bare hands and you fight it and like that's exactly what he says mm. is is if the machine gets corrupted, then, you know, we, the people, it's on us to physically make it stop. And, you know, that's kind of what he does, which is, I think, yeah. a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. I, I did not remember that, but that's a good callback. Yeah. Huh. Um, and 
so then the 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 final piece of all of this is that he discovers like some some kind of like crack or maybe a stress fracture or something Mm -hmm. we don't really get an explanation it's just him looking at this big crack in the right i don't i don't know if it's the hull or some other structural part of the ship but right um i i suspect we'll get a fuller explanation Mm. soon right Um, which again is a nice like if it's a stress fracture well like the crew is under major stress and they're breaking apart like it's like a symbolic of like the ship is coming apart um physically and emotionally you know among like the characters and everything um but also like kind of lucky that he had an excuse to go down there and discover this crack like that's a good thing to know that there are cracks (laughs) in the whole ship um so it's kind of like you know again with that you catastrophe of the mutiny like the way that it alerts them to problems that they didn't realize they had in mm. in the ship and in the the survival of the fleet um because otherwise why would he have been down there he wouldn't nobody would have known that there was this kind of structural damage yeah um <laughs> so now, now let's move into the main plot. Now that we're forty minutes into yeah. talking about the episode, um, kind of between Gata, Zarek, and Adama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I mean, you know, there's a lot that goes on between them. I think, for me, uh, I so I okay, so Adama and Ty kind of at the beginning, like they get captured, you know, in their little last stand or whatever. Right. Um, Adama get, they get separated. So Adama gets brought back to the CIC. Uh, Ty gets thrown in with the other Cylons um, and Hilo. Got to keep adding that. And Hilo. Yes. Hilo's (laughs) kind of an honorary Cylon. Let's be honest. like, (laughs) Like, Uh, He's king of the Cylon fan club. Right. Um, But yeah, so Adama's brought back. And like, I mean, there's a lot of like great little moments between Adama and Gaeta. Like, I'm sure you wrote down some, but like kind of the ones that I, uh, you know, picked out were like, um, so the one was like, Gaeta says, I had a feeling you wouldn't be on the Raptor. And Adama says, I care too much for the ship to let it be overrun by rats. And Gaeta says, right, if you only cared as much about the people on it. And Adama says, you have no fracking idea. And and it's, I don't know, I just, I like that whole exchange because it's, like, it's both of them. I mean, I think more Gaeta than Adama, but I think they're kind of, intentionally misunderstanding each other in Mm -hmm. some ways Mm -hmm. like um i don't i mean i think we've seen obviously like so much of what adama has done is because of his caring for the people like Mm -hmm. like i don't think any of us i I don't think even at his worst moments adama stopped caring for the people Mm -hmm. um maybe particular individuals but like the like the people his people like it it goes along with that whole you know he's the old man Mm. 
father of the ship kind of thing, right? Like, there's always a sense that even when you're like disciplining your children, like that doesn't mean you stop loving them or anything, yeah. right? Like that there's this idea that the people under him are the people. And that's not to say he doesn't love the ship, like the physical ship, mm-hmm. but like we've seen that he's like willing to like put the ship in danger to save the people. Like it's right, not. And, and maybe he means by the ship, he means the people. Like right. the ship is symbolic of the crew or the fleet or humanity or whatever. Right. Right. So, so yeah. So I like that exchange. I mean, it's very, and, and like, I think with Gaeta, it also highlights that like, so I, in watching this, like that particular exchange um, brings to mind the whole flag kneeling NFL debate thing. Mm. Uh, because to me, I feel like there's a lot of that same sort of misunderstanding going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, maybe more on one side than another, but like, I do feel like there that it does encompass both sides to some degree. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, the protesters maybe feel like they're protesting in as uh, respectful a way as they can, but it's still a protest. And the people who don't like that are like, well, you know, you're disrespecting the flag or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, but the flag is just a thing and it's the people who the flag Mm -hmm. represent that are more important. And so like, there's kind of this whole like circular thing going on back Mm. and forth. Um, Right. They're they're talking past each other. Yeah. 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 Um, So I don't know. I, I got, it just seemed like a very similar sort of Mm -hmm. conversation or debate uh, as that kind of a thing uh, to me. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Like, um, I think that is a good analogy that like, I, uh, the argument of protesters is often, I also recently watched the Vietnam War series on PBS that like Ken Burns mm-hmm. um, documentary and that like featured all the, the, the protests from that area. And the thing that you hear consistently is this idea of like a, like loyal disobedience or whatever they call it of like, my protest isn't done because I don't, honor the country or the flag it's it's because i honor the country that i hold it to these standards and and my protest is about saying you're failing in your responsibility and i feel like that's you know at least ideally what gata is trying to communicate um but um adama i think is more looking at this as that act of disloyalty, um, which I think is more how he kind of sees things as it's this contract of loyalty between him and his his kids, his or his soldiers, um, and it's more about the symbol of the uniform and the oath, you know, and and kind of what he said in the previous episode of like, you know, if you do this, you're dishonoring the the oath that you took. Um, mm-hmm. toward you know your uniform and your job and your your fleet and your people um, yeah. 
And so, like, yeah, I think they both care in their own way, but they're at an inability to express that to each other or to say it in terms that the other one is going to hear. Um, yeah. Which I think, like, Lampkin gets that, too, because he has the, like, moment where he kind of says to Gata, like, all right, give me time to talk to Adama. You want him to understand. Um like, I think he realizes, like, it's not... I mean, the, 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 the trial is a joke. Right. But I think for Gata, it's less about the trial of what's the outcome. Like, this isn't... It's a joke because it's not really meant to be a real trial. It's more about this is a venue for me to express my frustration and for you to hear it. And he wants Adama to accept and acknowledge what he's saying which again is just not gonna happen um and it's probably silly for him to think that this is a circumstance in which adama could ever hear what he's trying to tell him um right right yeah and so right so sort of moving into the trial stuff like like yeah like gate is like why can't you just admit that you've been derelict in your duty as an officer it's like at what point is Adama ever going to admit that? Right, and you kind of get like, that head desk from Zarek over in the corner, like, n- realizing what a futile right. effort this is. But, you know, I, somebody pointed this out. I can't remember where I read this comparison, but, like, the similarity, it doesn't end the same because it's different circumstances and characters, but kind of the similarity of the way Gaeta handles New Caprica with this of like realizing he's in a situation that you know he thinks is a problem and needs to kind of be stopped so he kind of plays double agent works like behind the scenes to like set up a resistance gets that going and then goes to the leader and confronts them with their failures and says, like, here's how you screwed up. And, like, Baltar kind of goes, you're right. Everything you've said about me is right. Now let me go and stop the nuke and I'll fix everything. And, and you know, and Gaeta lets him go to go do that. And I feel like that's what he wants from Adama here is for Adama to say, you know what? Everything you're saying is absolutely right. Thank you for showing me the error of my ways. Now, please... I'm I'm clear-headed and I know the right path now let me resume my leadership of this situation like it's I feel like there's a naive hope that maybe Adama will be receptive to sure what he's trying to tell him I almost I wonder like I think that one of like perhaps Gaeta's like tragic flaw is that he almost like follows the golden rule too rigidly mm. in treating other people's as like he thinks he should be treated because like yeah. he doesn't like maybe he, like he doesn't seem to understand that like like he seems to think that everybody else is going to act the way that he would act and they never do no. and he never Nobody learns ever, like uh, treat others as they would never ever treat you which right they don't yeah yeah. Right. Right. It's right. And I mean, the golden rule, when you think about it, is 
in some ways a little ridiculous is like you shouldn't treat others the way you want to be treated you should treat them the way they want to be treated right like sure. like that's really what you should be going at and get but like Gaeta never gets to that point he's he's never quite understands he's never quite able to understand how other people think think right and yeah and so his like you see it with his stuff with Adama there like you know won't you just admit because like Gaeta does admit like when he's kind of wrong like he's done mm -hmm. it before like we've seen him admit it like mm -hmm. And so he like just expects like other people to be that way. Um, we kind of see it with Zarek too. Like, you know, Gaeta isn't going to like lightly execute someone. Mm -hmm. um, he does get to the point of like ordering executions, but it's not like, like for him, this is like last straw kind right. of stuff. Whereas like we've seen with Ger Zarek that like, he's okay killing Laird, right? Like right off because like, right. he just happened to run across them. And while and or like <laughs> the entire quorum, and like right. yet throughout all of this, Gaeta is still like willing to work with him for some reason because he just doesn't seem to like comprehend that like Zarek fundamentally thinks differently than he does. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't. I don't think Gaeta ever really fully understands that the way he thinks is not the way everybody thinks. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> um, it's what leads to all of this, this hero worship of people who don't deserve it, you know, sure. starting with Baltar going on to his alliance with the eight who turns out to be like a serial killer. And then, you know, moving on to Zarek, like he, it's, and maybe that's part of the idealism that, that Baltar you know, points out at one point, you know, is, mm. is this, yeah. you know, belief in the nobility of other people that they're going to, they're, they want to do the right thing like you do. Um, and that's not always the case. And, you know, it's a serious flaw. It gets a lot of people killed, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it might be forgivable in the sense of, well, it comes from good intention, but it's a flaw that he does not address over and over again. Like, even though it keeps coming up, um, right. you know, which is again, part of the frustration of his, his turning on Adama here, because I feel like that's again, what he thinks he's doing is finally getting like, Oh, this is how the world works and people are flawed. So what I should do is con confront Adama with his flaws <laughs> rather than like realize not to make an alliance with Zarek in the first place. Like, sure. Um, and Adama does have flaws and maybe he needs to be confronted, but this isn't the way like, you know, there, there's no scenario in which Adama responds to this. Well, mm -hmm. um, Uh, all right. So, I mean, the long and short of the trial, which, I mean, the outcome is fixed from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and Adama knows, I mean, there's some funny stuff in there where he's just like, basically like, go, you know, shove it up your butt. Right. Um, and that kind of stuff. But like. Right. I, I, I bathed the enemy and all that kind of thing of like. Yeah. 
Um, but the clincher is when Zarek lies and says that Ty was killed. And that kind of like, cause, cause even in like the angry, like, you know, whatever answers that Adama's giving, like there's almost like a playfulness to it mm. in, in that, like he's baiting them. He's kind of like, he's kind of playing the game a little. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because he's biding time or trying to figure out a way to get out of things. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just because it's like, well, I'm going to die no matter what. So I might as well, like, just have fun with it. But, like, w- the news of Ty's death, like, just takes all of that out of it. Yeah. Like, he he doesn't have the will to keep going on at that point. Um, which, you know. I mean, again, we can wonder why Ty inspires this type of loyalty sure. and friendship in Adama, but right. it right. does. The, the fact so, remains that it does, yeah. <laughs> why is less of an issue than the fact that it does, so. Yeah, well, uh, and I mean, it's certainly about Ty himself and and that friendship and everything, but also, like, on a on a different level it's also like the fact that adama can get to the point where the death of a cylon can that have that kind of effect that like it takes the fact that it's your best friend you know suddenly the alliance isn't just like a strategic thing it actually like their lives can matter um Mm. Maybe Cylon lives uh, uh, yeah, Cylon lives matter too. Like maybe not. Maybe they haven't thought about all of them individually in that way, but like, you know, the idea that like as the human fleet is splitting itself apart, you have this loyalty between humans and Cylons that's more powerful than that. Um, sure. Which is quite different than where like things start. You know, way back in like season one, like you, it, that takes a long time to get there. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that takes the wind out and, and that, at that point it just becomes, I'm not going to answer any more more of your stupid questions, right? Like this is, this has gone on long enough. Mm -hmm. We all know where it's headed. Like, Let's just go there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, hmm. so, yeah, and I think at that point, like, I think that's when, I think that's when Gator maybe starts to check out. Like, he's going through the motions. Like, he's committed to the cause and to, you know, jumping away and... And he does carry out the execution, which is not great. Um, but like kind of a black mark on his record. Kind here. of a little, yeah, stain on the honor there. Um but like that's when it, it the fight to try to convince Adama of the nobility of their cause is over. And I feel like he kind of by that point, like between Adama just kind of giving up and seeing the quorum dead, I think like the naive yeah. belief that they're the right ones 
is kind of gone. Like yeah. he might still or, be committed to winning, but but the belief that they are the you know the justified ones um is over. And then it's kind of just a breaking down until the end of the episode at that point. Yeah. Um, which is when right. like the the pain of the leg starts to get more prominent and the the fact that he doesn't put on the admiral's like pins and everything like all those little things that kind of let you know like he knows he's not in the right anymore um whereas i think at one point he thought that he was yeah maybe um i i mean it, i don't know that we have enough evidence one way or the other but one of the I guess I the way I was thinking about it was that I don't I don't know that he ever expected like like it seems like he always just expected to be a sort of a transitional figure because mm, sure. I could I almost I you could almost see him like having Adama executed and then committing suicide himself you know what I mean like. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I don't, I, you know, because I have a terrible memory, the first time I watched this, I almost thought that he was going to, like, kill himself mm-hmm. in Adama's quarters when he's, like, putting, you know, the pins down and mm. on his, uh, on his desk there. Um, yeah, no, I think that's probably, there's some of that in there, yeah. And so... I mean, not the first suicidal stuff we've seen with him before so that's not even like yeah a new impulse necessarily i mean although this is a more extreme scenario but yep um so yeah i i mean it's hard to say because we don't really have evidence one way or the other on on that sort of thing but uh i guess other than that he doesn't do it i guess maybe that's the only argument and a good one <laughs> against why uh, that might be the case. But it does seem like, I mean, I agree that like he does seem to become more and more disheartened with like seeing the quorum dead and like seeing like there's a sense too that Adama still is the one in power. Mm-hmm. Right. Of uh, You know, by, by declaring that he's not going to answer any more questions. Yeah. He, he still owns the power that Gaeta never could quite get a handle of. Right. And yeah, it's like, no matter how grown up you are, your parents are always your parents, right? Like there's always that power dynamic and it doesn't matter if they're elderly or you have more material things or whatever it is. Like they always have a authority in any interaction. Um, So, yeah. But then, you know, there's also like, so he he goes off, he does the, you know, he's like sullen in Adama's quarters for a bit. And then he goes back to like the CIC. And in the meantime, it's like, oh, hey, look, we rescued the prisoners and then and gave them guns. And now we go and rescue Adama, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, in the meantime. And there's this whole uh this whole thing going on there too. I don't I don't know that there's much to say. You you actually mentioned like 
what is there really to say about like the prisoners other than that like Lee and Starbuck rescue the prisoners and then like they collectively go and like there's a shootout and Sam gets hurt and whatever but then like the rest of them go and rescue Adama Starbuck like is trying to get Sam to coddle um Lampkin taking over his guard is another one yeah like again not that like you don't want to root for him or whatever but like right when has he ever like taken that direct Mm -hmm. action and like what would make you think that he'd be able to like overcome a marine with a pen with a pen yeah um right which is a weird little echo of Gaeta and Voltar with the pen you know like sure killing somebody like I don't know what to do with that but like other than to point out that it's death by pen stuck in your neck um (laughs) Right. It's not not the greatest way to go. Um Yeah, I yeah, I don't think there's a ton to say about like the rescue situation. Like if that's the kind of action stuff that's you know, fun to watch, but like yeah. I don't think there's any big character. I mean, I think the biggest is Sam obviously, that like Yeah. you know, his kind of injury which seems like a paralysis or like it's not good. Um, you know, there's a bullet very near his, you know, his neck and his spine. Um, right. And again, I guess with like Adama and Ty, there's like Starbuck and Sam coming through that period of revelation that one of them is a Cylon and then getting into this, you know, life or death scenario where none of that matters, where... You know, there are marriage issues and what they are and all that stuff, like, goes out the window when Sam gets, like, shot in the back of his neck. Um, You know, and, like, you know, that becomes the important thing for Starbuck is taking care of him regardless of any, you know, fight they've ever had before. Um, and then, you know, sort of the flip side of that is once he is rescued, Adama, uh, doesn't immediately execute everyone, right? Um, or, or allow them to be executed by Ty. Right, or um, allow Ty he, to do that, yeah. He, uh, ties up the, I don't know, I can't, I don't know the character's name. Oh, um, it's Narcho again. That's Narcho, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what is like? Oh well, I've always respected you, sir. And but like, I can't take you know orders from Cylons anymore. And which is when Ty like points the gun at him, right? Um, but uh, which again, Ty? It's not that long ago that you would have said the same thing, but like, oh, Ty, yeah, who literally was like throwing people out airlocks, right? And and sending suicide bombers just for the chance to hit a couple of Cylons, like right. Yeah. So yeah, um, but Adama gets you know gathers up his like Marines who are still loyal to him and and Lee and you know the rest of of those who had been uh, released from the cell and. Um, take over the CIC 
get Zarek and Gaeta and put them in chairs and assembles his own firing squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, other than like the beats there, I don't know what there is to say about a lot of that. Because I mean, at that point, like everything has been said, right? Um, I guess sure. really the 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 big thing is the Gaeta Baltar mm-hmm. scene there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple good beats in the like, uh, like climax of that itself. Like, I think the fact that, um, uh, it each time I watch it now, I'm always more conscious of on rewatch the fact that like, Gaeta calls the weapons hold before Adama shows up. That like. Like, it's an interesting kind of timing of, like, the FTL goes down and Zarek's, like, saying, okay, the base ship's going to attack and we need to defend. Um, and, but it's then that, you know, and he says the, like, wake up, like, you know, symbolic Which, moment there of, like, yes, that's what he needs to do. Um, just not in the way that Zarek means it. Um, which, again, the base star is in the middle of the fleet. So this is, if Zarek was in charge... It would right. be shoot into the fleet. Right. It, fleet caught in the crossfire. Right. Yep. Right. It would be Roslyn versus Eric and the fleet suffers or gets annihilated like as a result. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's like a significant thing that like he kind of says like, no, put the weapons like he kind of knows. Well, they're not jumping away. It's over. And rather than go down with your guns blazing and sacrificing all these civilians, that's it. It's done, you know? Um, And it's then that Adama comes in, which I think is, like, interesting. You could have had Adama take the CIC back, like, by force. But, like, kind of, which, I mean, he does, but also, like, by that time, they've already, like, put the guns down and decided not to fight the base star. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, corrupted though he is, I think Gaeta is at least still trying to not waste life just senselessly at the end. Sure. Well, and I, because I think he's sincere when he says, if only you thought about the people. And I think he's thinking about the people. Mm-hmm. He, he I, I think for all of his flaws... He's at least consistent in that, that he, not that he doesn't kill people or get people killed, Mm -hmm. but that like when that happens, there is a sort of sense of like for the greater good going on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for the great, for the good of the people, Mm -hmm. like not just like some, not just like nebulous morality or something or whatever, but like. Well, like, actually, he, he feels like this is best for the people overall. Um, not to say he's not wrong, not to say that, mm-hmm. like, he couldn't do better. But, like, I do feel like with this type of thing, like, like when he does order an execution, it's because he truly believes that it's the best thing for mm-hmm. everyone as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here, like, it becomes that calculation as well, that, like, it's not a good thing for us to be firing into the fleet and, mm-hmm. and the base star flying, firing back from within the fleet 
um, and through the fleet at us. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Yeah, so then um, let's talk about the scene with Baltar then. Um, I mean, how much do we want to like psychoanalyze Gator's childhood? Sure. Um, restaurant shaped like food? Sure. As uh, okay. much or as little as we want. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I don't have a better idea than that. That's a pretty fracking amazing idea, mm -hmm. um, as he says. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I Like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, yes, there's some good character stuff in here, but also, like, I don't know. What? Tell me your thoughts, because I, I kind of struggle with the scene of, like, it seems almost a little indulgent to me, hmm. um, but I don't. I, like maybe maybe you have some thoughts that are indulgent of what or of who just of like pulling on the heartstrings of like this character who i think generally throughout most of the series we've liked and mm -hmm. even like now where like maybe we see him going down a terrifying rabbit hole like mm -hmm don't wholly dislike it's just we can see sort of the tragedy of him does like going back and talking about like when i was a kid i used to scribble floor plans on things and like like what what's the okay like we knew we knew about his interest in science and and i just i don't know i guess i don't i'm not sure i completely understand like what they were trying to accomplish with the scene but sure yeah i'm open to hearing thoughts i mean i guess what strikes me is as much as it's a scene all about gata it's actually also not it, like i think like the the baltar element is very strong in that that like you know, it's significant that it's Baltar that he's talking to, like, both because of the shared history and the fact that, like, you know, they were in some ways very close and then in some ways, like, for a long time, very bitter and angry and estranged. And the fact that, like, there's a reconciliation and a forgiveness, which I think is, um, I don't know, it, it's... And maybe that's part of like the pulling at the heartstrings, like you said, of showing that there's at least one person that doesn't completely condemn him for this. Um, sure. And the fact that that's Baltar, like, I don't think, I generally think of Baltar as, he's in some ways Baltar is very sensitive, but I don't think of him as empathetic of somebody that cares or thinks a great deal about um, the best thing for somebody else. Um, like, I think he's intuitive and sensitive to other people, but he's not, um, you know, altruistic in his, like, he's very narcissistic, you know, like pretty much every interaction. And like, 
I can't I kind of can't think of any other scenes with with Baltar that aren't all about Baltar. Um, and so just the fact that he just sits and listens and doesn't proselytize and just ask questions about like, all right, it's somebody's like last night. The impression I have is that it's it's a one-sided conversation in that Baltar is just prompting him for information about himself, um, which is a kind of selflessness that is very different for for me for like the Baltar character. Um, you know, sure. and that like he was not loyal or a friend or anything else to Gaeta the way that Gaeta was or wanted to be to him. Um, but there's at least some small reciprocation of that at the end here. Which I think, like, I would imagine means a lot. Um, you know, especially if, like, you're about to go to your death thinking that everybody in the world absolutely hates and judges you and doesn't understand why you did what you did. Um, mm -hmm. So to have kind of one person, the, the person that the rest of the fleet also hates <laughs> for different reasons, but somebody else who's also like on the outs say to like, say to you, like, I get it, you know, I don't know. Sure. I find that like a pretty poignant kind of sentiment. Okay. I don't. I I see what you're saying. Um, you can say cool. though if you disagree. I, I don't disagree. I guess I just don't feel strongly about the scene one way or the other. So I don't. I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I I still think it's kind of. Pulling, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't disagree, um, but I also don't feel strongly about it. So, like a little manipulative or something. Yeah, just kind of like this guy's about to die, so we're gonna like take you back to his childhood and like really, yeah, wrench, wrench a little bit. Um, so, sure. Yeah, yeah I don't, yeah, right. I mean, well, and I think with stuff like that, like with that kind of melodrama, your mileage will vary, you know, of like how much is too much, um, you know? And I don't know, I kind of like that if they're gonna do that and like really go for the emotion of it, that they don't actually like talk about real deep, serious things. It's more like that's in the subtext and what they're talking about is stupid stuff like the hobbies I had when I was a kid. Um, I feel like the, the the lightness of that undercuts the, like, you know, doom and gloom of it. But that's, that's me. And I'm huge fans of both of these characters. So I think, like, maybe I'm a little bit more invested in that relationship, which might make it a little more, um, I don't know significant or something. Sure. 
Fair enough. All right. Um, well, I mean, you know, they talk and then mm -hmm. get it. So, all right. So then the other thing that kind of, like the smile between like, Gaeta and Zarek at the end is also a little kind of like. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Fine. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, we don't actually see them die. We just see. If you don't gun, see it, it's not really happening. We, we just see guns firing. So who knows? Right. Um, I mean, I think the implication is pretty clear, but. Yes. Uh, anyway. Well, and the and the um, how do you how do you take the it stopped moment at the end? The like, well, I take it to referring to the pain in his leg. Well, yeah, but I guess like, is that like? I don't Metaph know. I guess metaphorical I'm, of like whatever psychological trauma he's well, experiencing. I'm sure that it is, but my question, I always feel like I'm never sure whether to take that as a good thing or not. Like, is it? Yeah. Is it like, oh, it's stopped. I mean, I I'm it finally as... released from the burden of you sure. know all these things, or is it like, oh, it finally stopped like a second before. The bullets hit and like maybe he could have turned it around but he didn't um and i guess i'm never quite sure like which of those i feel more strongly i take it as more of a like statement of surprise just that it's like oh this thing that i've been living with for a long time mm -hmm. is now over and i mean i i think if anything, it's the inevitability of what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, so like, I would say like, it's, it's that thing of you, uh, you know, when it, when like, maybe if the pain is like a manifestation of his psychological torture and whatever, um, then like that becomes like okay well now like there's no reason it's like that thing of like a fear of failure is is often like really like fear of the unknown like mm -hmm. you know you don't know if you're going to succeed or not but if you like if you just know at like some point you're going to fail then that's kind of like empowering because it's like, then you don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about the fact that you might fail because you're gonna, you're gonna mm -hmm. fail at something at some point. And mm -hmm. so it's just like, just do your best and recognize that like when you fail, like you can take it as like a learning opportunity or whatever. And so like, like there's a certain inevitability, inevitability there of just like, Hey, he doesn't have to worry about stuff anymore. Like, mm -hmm. In a few seconds, everything's going to be over, and that's just the way it's going to be. And whatever comes next comes next. And and so, like, if you're looking at his pain as sort of a manifestation of his psychological torment and all of that, then 
then that's what I would attribute that to. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's just me. Sure. Uh, what was what was sort of what was the I'm I'm sorry I forget like what the options you were that sort of laid out. Um, well, I guess that was one that it's a it's an unburdening. Yeah. Which I think is the the happier way to read it of like a oh man like that's over and there's a moment of maybe peaceful calm before like you know right. that's the last even if it's and, surprised at least it's a it's a happy surprise of and like oh, whatever yeah yeah whatever afterlife there might be it's going to be a halfway decent one for him because he doesn't have the psychological sure you know, sure torment going and i and i guess the the sadder side of that coin which then that makes me wonder is does i guess the surprise could also be it stopped like i didn't realize it was possible for it to stop and it kind of sure. makes me wonder if things had been different could he have turned it around could he have healed from all of the trauma you know and it maybe there is a possibility that he could have recovered but it's too late now to make that happen and that's like the lost opportunity of it um maybe but i mean also there's like maybe this is the only thing that ever could have brought him to the moment sure anyway like like there's no guarantee that just because it's stopping now and that he was able to find some kind of psychic peace before, you know, he dies. That doesn't mean that like, like this might be the only possible set of circumstances that could have brought him to that mm -hmm. thing. And every other set of circumstances just would have been continued torment. Sure. Uh, even sure. up to and including the last moment. So mm -hmm. like this, it could be the best of all possible worlds. Like, sure. Or, or it might not be. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I think that's the, that's again, the ambiguity of it. But sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think he's dead. We don't have to see it to know it. No. Um, all right. Well, in that sense, we'll be back next week with some more BSG mm -hmm. uh, and some more Angel. Sounds good. See you then. Thank you.